Welcome. It's great to have everyone out. I, I really appreciate the opportunity of being able to speak today on my favorite topic, and that's the topic of Jesus. I also want to thank you for the warm reception with the Dallas-Fort Worth Church, and I really appreciate this ministry. I've gotten with a number of people on staff here, and uh, the hospitality has just been overwhelming. Uh, so has the heat been a bit <laughs> overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, walking in the sun yesterday, and I kept looking for shade. Where is the shade? That sun beams down really, really intensely here, and, uh, but it's great to be with you. The weather is warm, and the people are warm, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity of being here with you. You know, the Dallas-Fort Worth Church is uh, uh, really a ministry in our ministries around the world that I feel like is, is one of our anchor ministries. You do so many great things. Uh, the Assads are doing an amazing job. Not only here in Dallas-Fort Worth, but they do so many that help us with service teams and these type of things, churches over a thousand and more, and that type of thing. And so you're really blessed to have all the leaders that you have here. And I hope you appreciate the great gift that God has given you, which is great spiritual leaders, amen, great spiritual men and women uh, that truly serve God with a, a, a great heart. And uh, I, I have noticed that even over the last few days, getting to know so many more people on staff, and it's really been a joy uh, to get to know them. Uh, I appreciate also the fact that I've been to Texas a few times. Actually, my great-great-uncle uh, left in the 1860s from Tennessee and, and came to Waco, Texas, and uh, started a church there. Yeah, actually, there's a Cunard Museum in Waco, Texas. Yep, and uh, I also understand it's Waco, Texas, and he probably was. Most of the canards are that way. And so I'm not even sure what's in that museum. I'm a little afraid to go and see what's in that museum. He started a church in Waco, Texas. Anything could be in that museum. Uh, but uh, So we do have that little bit of history uh, with Texas. But originally I'm from Tennessee. I was a part of the traditional church growing up. And, uh, you know, the song service today, that was like a call home for me. Uh, it, it, it was a great acapella singing. You guys sounded amazing. It was really wonderful to be able to sing those great hymns together. And uh, I, I was baptized when I was 14 years old in the traditional church. I uh, was baptized again later, but I think the one that really stuck was the one at 14. And so I've been a disciple for a number of years. I travel to Africa quite often to do some teaching and preaching in Africa. And when I'm in Africa, they like to say that he's the oldest Christian on the continent of Africa. It's because I was baptized when I was 14. I don't think that's the case, uh, but they, they like to look at me in that way. And, then, and that's fine. And it's, I, I really appreciate the work that's going on there. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, things. I've, I, you guys have really, really big trucks here. I've noticed that. I've got this little Ford uh, Explorer with a little pickup bed in the back. Wouldn't even count as a truck uh, here. Uh, I know I, everything is bigger and better in Texas. I've heard that all my life. Uh, and I'll tell you a little story. There was a Texan that came to New York, and this New Yorker was showing him around town. And so he wanted to show him and impress him with some of the things that are in New York. So he took him over to the Brooklyn Bridge. And he said, you know, this is the oldest suspension bridge in the world. At time, people, it was built, it was ahead of its time, 
People had to dig way deep with, uh, with crude tools to get down, to lay the foundation for it. And look at it. It's just so beautiful. And the Texan was unimpressed. He said, you know, we got, we got bridges bigger and better than that in Texas. And in fact, they're older. And we don't need suspension bridges in Texas. And so the New York was feeling really bad. So he took him up to Yankee Stadium. And he thought, surely this will impress, impress him. And so he shows him Yankee Stadium. He says, this is the house that Ruth built. 27 world championships. The most winning and successful, as far as championship goes, franchise in sports history. And the Texan just yawned. He yawned. He said, we got high school teams. We got high school teams that play in bigger stadiums. Some of them haven't lost a game in 50 years. And New York was feeling all so, so bad. So he took him down to One World Trade Center, the new Freedom Tower down there. And he, 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 he sort of pulled around the corner, ducked him under the Freedom Tower, and just had him look straight up, straight up at this huge building. And the Texan finally went, wow. He goes, wow. And he looks over at the New Yorker and he says, what's this? And the New Yorker said, I don't know, wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> yeah, New Yorkers, we get a little smart, yeah. Let me show you my family. This is my beautiful wife, Lee. She and I work in the ministry together. We've been in New York for 33 years uh, serving in the ministry there. We had one year where we were able to be in Jerusalem, and that was a fun time, and serve the church in Jerusalem. But other than that, we've been in New York uh, for the whole time, really, that the New York ministry has been there. We got there a few months after it began, and uh, she's my, my partner in the gospel and my, the love of my life, and I uh, wish you could meet her because if you met her, you'd feel a lot better about me. I tell you that right now. You can ask Gordon Ferguson that. Gordon Ferguson likes me twice as much because he's met my wife, uh, and that's okay because I like him twice as much since I met Teresa also. Um, we also uh, have a, a couple of children. This is Chelsea and her husband, Rob. They lead the campus ministry in New Jersey, but also oversee all of our campus ministries in New York, some 200 students in our campus ministries. This is them when she became pregnant, and that is Rob with his split personality thing going on as Spider-Man. Uh, and a few months after that, we had our first grandchild, Bradley Daniel Novak. Uh, there's uh, Bradley, brand new and also in his Spider-Man costume. So uh, he's going to have a bit of a split personality too. Uh, but that's okay. He is such a joy, and he's almost five months old. He'll be five months old on Saturday, and uh, he's just a real blessing to us. And then there's Daniel and his wife, Corinne. They've been married for just a year now. He was in San Diego. They were in San Diego for about four years working in the ministry there. Uh, but just moved uh, back to the East Coast. We're so blessed to have them back with us on the East Coast. And they lead our campus ministry in Manhattan, and uh, so they're right there off of Times Square uh, with an apartment and uh, uh, getting used to the city and used to the campus ministry in Manhattan. I really would ask you to pray. Pray for New York. Pray for the New York church. Uh, we're, we're doing well. You might have heard that there was a pipe bomb that went off in Chelsea just yesterday, and uh, we were actually planning on having a congregational Bible talk 
meeting this afternoon uh, right in that neighborhood. But because of the pipe bomb, they closed down all the streets and everything, and we had to cancel our, our Bible Talk workshop. And it's also right where the Manhattan ministry meets and fortunately happened yesterday instead of uh, today for our disciples. As far as we know, none of the disciples were injured by it, but some 27 people were injured. And that just seems to be the world that we live in right now, which brings me to my topic for today. Jesus. We need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus. More than ever before, our world needs Jesus. Our world is trying a lot of different things. They're looking in the wrong places. Because the answer to everything that's ahead of us, everything that's in front of us, is Jesus. You look at the racial divide around us, but then you look at a group like this, and you see the difference is Jesus. You look at the violence that people are suffering in the world, and yet you look at the peace and contentment that we have in our lives, and you realize that the difference is Jesus. You know, in our lives as disciples, it should all be about Jesus. I love the whole Bible, cover to cover. I read through it every year. I study all kinds of topics in the Bible. I study all the different books of the Bible at one time or another. I've written books on the prophets. I've written a book on Colossians. Uh, I've written a book on, on Matthew. And yet, I think the most important book I've ever done is King Jesus. Because really, that's what our focus should be. It should all come back to Jesus. And I really appreciate the church here for inviting me to come to talk about Jesus. That's, that's what I love to do. The older I get, he's the one I want to talk about. I get invited to talk about different things in different places. But if I'm asked, what would you like to talk about? It's Jesus. I pull out something from the Gospels. Because I really do know, not just think, I know he is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to keep him as the focus of our lives. And so this weekend, I've been able to share four lessons so far. Even though I was teaching the, um, teaching the campus and the singles one day, then the youth and family on the next, I decided not to double up and just do the same lessons on the same day because I wanted you to be able to go back to the audio and to four lessons. And then there's two more lessons today. So I'm giving you six lessons over the weekend. So if you weren't able to attend, you know, please go back and listen to the tapes. And the first lesson I did was Growing Like Jesus Grew. We talked about spiritual growth. And then I did a lesson on Caring Like Jesus Cared. And I talked a bit about the ministry of Jesus and what the ministry of Jesus was all about. And then yesterday with the youth and family, it was really great to be there with both teenagers and parents. And I have to say, I, I was so impressed by so many of the teens that came up to me afterwards and, and talked to me afterwards and uh, I, I just appreciate that. I appreciate your hearts. I appreciate your zeal. I appreciate your enthusiasm. You know, and it was great to be able to meet some of you and talk to some of you. And I had that opportunity yesterday to talk about living like Jesus lived and look at the purpose of Jesus and why he came into the world and then that we can share that purpose in our lives today. And then I also talked about suffering as Jesus suffered and I talked about discipleship. Of course, the big idea there was there is no discipleship without a cross. Jesus led us to the cross and then tells us to take up our crosses daily. So following Jesus is about self-denial, and it is about surrender. And today I want to share two topics based on two passages of Scripture 
that are two of my favorites. In fact, one of them is my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. It's the first one I'm going to share today from Matthew chapter 22. And I want to talk about loving like Jesus loved. And then I want us to close out talking about sharing like Jesus shared. And so let's move on now, and we'll talk about loving like Jesus loved. And again, this is my, my favorite passage of Scripture uh, in the Bible. I think it's one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible. In fact, I think there are, when I look through the Gospels, there are at least three Scriptures that beg to be underlined, that beg to be underscored or highlighted in your Bibles. And I think it's because of the way they're written and even the wording and what's said in the verses. When you're reading the Bible, pay attention to the words. It's very important. I I think we can read the Bible quickly, and that's fine, picking up on the major themes of the Bible. But there are times where you need to slow down and read the Bible slowly and pay attention to the exact words in the passage. And in all three of these passages, there's something in there that just says, underline me, underscore me, pay attention to me, memorize me, put me in your heart. And one of them is here in Matthew chapter 22. It's also found in Mark and and Luke, but it's Matthew 22, 34 through 40, where Jesus talks about and answers the question of what is the greatest commandment of all the 613 commandments in the law. So when we, he answers a question like that, he, that's something that just says, pay attention, listen to this. And then the second scripture, we'll talk about it in the next lesson. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, called the Great Commission. And there he begins with, all authority has been given me on heaven and on earth. And when he starts with that, then pay attention to whatever follows. That's, a, that's an amazing preface. All authority has been given. And he also, it's the last thing in the book on Matthew, the book of Matthew. It's like that symbol on the last crash of the song that just rings out. So pay attention to that. And then the third one, we're not going to talk about it today, maybe another time, but it's in John 34, where Jesus says, a new command I give you. That's important. When you have... The Messiah, the king, saying, this is a new command. A little more carefully. A new command I give you, love one another. And then raising the standard is I have loved you, love one another. Everyone will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Ties into the second part of the first uh, message, but that one really deserves to be studied on its own. So these three things, and focus is important. What you focus on, what you look at, what you think about in life, it's crucial. The fact is, what we focus on in life is what we become. And that's a truism in business, it's a truism in leadership, it's also a truism in your spiritual lives. If you put Jesus as your focus, you're going to become more and more like him. If you focus on other things, then you'll become more like those things. And even as we focus on particular scriptures, it's important. Focus is really crucial. And so I want us to focus in on these scriptures today because I think that they are such important scriptures. But focus, what are you focused on in your life? Focus on Jesus. Look at Jesus. Think about Jesus. 
meditate on Jesus and become more like him. I haven't talked about football all weekend. I know football is a religion here. I saw Friday Night Lights, both the movie and the television show. And uh, I, it, I, I, I'm not even, you know, last, last Sunday a game happened, but I'm not going to talk about that game. Okay? Honestly, I'm moving on. It's the last thing I'm going to say about it. Maybe, maybe I'll say go out of bounds, okay? Get out of bounds. <laughs> maybe I'll add that, okay? Okay, now I'm done, I, I think. I think I'm done. Um, but I, <laughs> I went to a Cowboys-Giants game a couple of years ago in the Meadowlands. And I bring this game up because the Cowboys won that game. It was the first game of the season for these teams. But it, you might remember it. It was the game where Odell Beckham Jr. caught a catch in the end zone, which many people say the greatest catch ever in football history. I mean, it was amazing. And I happened to be at that game with some of my good friends. We were sitting right on the front row of the top deck, and it happened right in the end zone, I mean, directly below us. We had the perfect view of this catch. And I remember I saw, I saw Eli Manning throw this, this ball, and it was just going, going. And then it appeared like it just started happening in slow motion, going, going. And I saw it all unfolding right, and I love football. Oh, I, I, anyway, <laughs> I love football. And so I was like, oh, he's open. Oh, this is going to happen. And then I thought, well, it looks a little too high. It looks a little too high. And this guy stretches out, and he, he leans back, and then he, with three fingers, and I saw the three fingers. <laughs> that's, how, that's how close I was to it. With three fingers, the cone tip of the football lands in those three fingers, and he squeezes it and pulls it in. Just before he did that, an, um, a referee threw a flag, and I thought, well, this is great. There's pass interference. Anyway, but I just kept watching the play because I was, like, so entranced with the move that he was making and how high he was getting and the arch in his back. How did he get his spine to curb like that, you know? <laughs> against physics what he did and then the strength of his three fingers to hold on to that ball and then take it to the ground but my friend next to me Phil Garrison who leads the ministry in the Hudson Valley Phil was hammering this other guy down the road from us all game long about refing and and calls and all like that so when he saw the yellow flag go up he'd leaned over to the other guy and he goes interference interference pass interference and he was right here beside me, and he was yelling in front of me, and I was just looking at the play. And I was like, he caught it. He caught it. Phil, he caught it. And Phil was like, caught what? What, <laughs> what do you mean he caught it? It was past interference. I said, no, it's a touchdown. He caught it. And Phil was like, he caught that? And it, Phil, <laughs> Phil didn't see the play. He missed it. One of the greatest plays in the history of football, but he was focused on the wrong thing. You like that, right? I tied it all in. Yeah, nice bow. Yeah. He was focused on the wrong thing. He saw that flag, and he was like, oh, that's it. That's the end of the play. And he missed the real end of the play. He had to watch it about eight times on the 
the jumbotrons, you know, around the stadium. And every time he did, I said, Phil, I saw that live. <laughs> and even to this day, I still say that. Phil, you know that catch? I saw it live. You saw it on tape. And he says, yeah, but I was there. And I said, doesn't matter. I saw it live. Focus. What we focus on in life is so important. And I want to just encourage us, focus on Jesus. I really appreciate the church has focused on Jesus this weekend. But I encourage you, take that focus out of the weekend, into the rest of the month, into the rest of the year, into next year, into the rest of your lives. Focus on Jesus. And here in, in Matthew chapter 22, we have one of Jesus' great, 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 great teachings. And open up your Bible, Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to open up my Bible here. This is called the Shema Yisrael. You see that up on the, the screen there, the Shema Yisrael. And that means, hear, O Israel. Take it from Deuteronomy, where hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And in the Gospel of Luke, it adds another word. It says strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there was a running dialogue in Judaism at the time of what is the greatest commandment. And many people tried to answer that. Some didn't try to answer it. But let me just read this. And as I read it, I'll make a few comments. And then I want us just to, to see what Jesus is saying in this passage. We need to, to love like Jesus loved. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. This is a time in the Gospels where Jesus is answering a lot of questions. People are trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him. But he doesn't fall for any of that. In fact, every time they try to trap him or trick him, he comes out looking much, much better than any of them do. And so now it's time for this uh, Pharisee, one of them an expert in the law. That means he's a scribe. That means he understands the law. He knows the law. He interprets the law for other people. Also, uh, he, he probably had multiple languages, uh, was multilingual. He, he probably wrote letters for people because many of the people who couldn't write, they would go to the scribes, and thus their name. Uh, they would write letters for people. And so he knew a lot about the law. There's the 613 laws in the Old Covenant. And one of the things that the scribes tried to do was try to get rabbis to say, okay, what is the greatest? And so he asked Jesus here, one of them, an expert in law, tested him. Notice he's testing Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And as I mentioned, common question to trap and to trick people. Because the scribe often would come back with another answer. You know, well, what, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Maybe this is more important. And then they would start debates. In fact, one uh, scribe came up to Shammai one time. Uh, there were two really great rabbis in that part, in, at that time in Judaism. One was Hillel. Hillel was a little more liberal, and Shammai was the more conservative one. And he came up to Shammai, and he asked Shammai, he said, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? Uh, other, other versions of the story say, I would like for you, Shammai, great, great rabbi that you are, to quote the law standing on one foot. And that was a common thing that they would try to get people to do, stand on one foot and quote the law. Uh, and Shammai, when he was asked that, what is the greatest commandment in the law, instead of answering the man, he took off his sandal and he started hitting him across the head with his sandal. And he goes, that's a dumb question. Never ask me that again. Shammai wasn't a very nice person, okay? 
But Jesus is asked the same question because it was a common question. And Jesus, instead of taking off his sandal, he answers. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. Those four components are there when you include what Luke has to say about it. But love, love God. If you want to know the greatest commandment, it can be boiled down into love God with everything you have. Just basically what heart, soul, mind, and strength mean. Everything. In other words, be consumed by God. Love Him. Love Him with your whole being, with every particle of your being, with everything that you are. Love God. And that's the essence of the law. And it's such an important scripture because Jesus is telling there, us there, what is, what is the center of everything else? What, what is the foundation of everything else? It's about loving God. But notice after that, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then it doesn't stop. It says, and the second is like it. The scribe didn't ask for a second. Jesus just added this. And as a rabbi, that's what he could do. And so he just says, this is, this is my interpretation now of what loving God is. Basically, that's what he's saying. My interpretation of loving God with everything that you have is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the prophets, everything else, it hangs on these two commands. Love God and love neighbor. And today I want to encourage all of us that that's where our journey with Christ should begin. But it's also where our journey with Christ should end. It should be the center of what we're doing trying to be disciples. Is that we love God and we love people. It's all about loving God and it's all about loving people. Loving God is demonstrated in the way that we love people. So love. Love God. Some like to break down these components in loving God and say, loving God with all your heart. With all your heart, that's the Greek word, cardia. In the Hebrew, it's lev. And some people say that what the heart meant in the Greek mind, and especially in the Hebrew mind, was it's the center of the emotions. So as far as being emotionally, what you give emotionally, you give God all of your emotions. And you allow God to control your emotions. It all is given to God. So love Him with your heart. Love Him with your emotions. Love God with all of your soul. That's the word suke. You might see psychology in there. Suke in the Greek was personality or personhood or who you, who you are as a person. Another way that we might think about that also is our talent and our demeanor and the way we come across. You know, some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts. God made us that way. It's okay. I'm more of an introvert. It took me a long, long time to realize I have to be okay with that because there's, certain, there's a certain power to introversion and being a little quiet that extroverts don't have. The power that extroverts have that introverts don't have. And God made us this way. And however he made you, that's the person you are. And here's the thing. You've got to give that whole person, all of your personality, all of your personhood, give that 
to God and love God with all of it. So love God with all of your heart and all of your emotion. Love God with all of your personhood and all of your personality and who you are as a person. Love God with your mind, your mind, your intellect, the way that you think. And give that to God and love God with all of your intellect and then strength. Strength, your stamina, your body, your physical body. Love God with that. Give that all to God. Don't allow your body to to control you. You control your body and then give that to God. But love God. Love God with everything that you have. Scholar D.A. Carson says that instead, you know, what Jesus is really doing by mentioning all four of these things. He's talking about what make, everything that makes us up as a human being. Everything, all of the components of who we are as a human being. Jesus is saying it all has to love God. But he's not trying to dissect us. He's actually trying to just, it's like synonymous parallelism in the Hebrew Bible. He's just saying it different ways to make the same point. Love God with everything you got. Be consumed by God. And that's the type of love that we need to have for God. It needs to be a consuming love. See, I wrote this in my book, The Way of the Heart. The, great, the greatest question is, is not, do we love God? The greatest question is, do we love God? Capital L-O-V-E. We must love God with an agape love. He must consume us. We must love God with every faculty of our being, with all the capacity of our love. Do we love God? And our relationship with God, it needs to begin there, loving God. And then everything else that we do in life, it flows from that. It flows from our love for God. You know, we believe in Bible study, so we get in and we study the Bible. But we don't just study the Bible we study to study it. We study the Bible because we love God. We believe in evangelism. We believe in the importance of evangelism. But we're not just evangelistic to be evangelistic. We're evangelistic because we love God. We give and we sacrifice. And I know that this is a sacrificial church. But we don't just sacrifice and give because we are, that's expected of us from the church. But we do that because we love God. It comes out of our love for God. We get with each other and we help each other out. And when someone is struggling, we get with that person. And we don't do just, just do that just to hold on to them in the membership list. We do that because we love God. And it all has to be based from this. That's the motivation of everything that we do. It's about loving God, being consumed by Him. If the other things are put before loving God, then we've got things out of place. It all has to flow out of our love for God. Sometimes uh, we're tempted to trade our love for God with a cheap imitation. And that cheap imitation can be a checklist of things. You know, I'm, as a disciple, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to come to church service, I'm going to give, I'm going to get with this person, I'm going to go to Bible talk, and I'm doing this because I'm a disciple. But the love, where's the love? Does it flow from your love? If it's just a checklist of things that we're doing, then we, that's, that's a cheap imitation of what it means to be a disciple. It has to flow out of our love. All those things I just mentioned are important, but it's important that we have the motivation behind them right. And we do them because we love. We can't exchange love for God with a cheap imitation, with a checklist. In my life, I've done that before. I've been legalistic. 
And I follow things out of legalism instead of out of being motivated by love for God. And I have to be careful with that. And I know some of you do as well. Don't exchange love for God with any kind of cheap imitation. You know, when you go uh, down Canal Street in New York, there are a lot of vendors that are on the side of the street. And they're selling Rolex watches, you know, for $50. They're selling uh, beautiful handbags, you know, leather handbags with uh, designer handbags. In fact, sometimes they'll say, come here, come here. And they'll take you into the back. And there'll be all these designer handbags, you know. I mean, different, different ones from different designers. And they'll be $50, you know, $60, $70. But when you get them out in the sunlight, you realize, wait a minute. This isn't the real thing here. Had a guy, a friend of mine, who I guess this was the late 80s and VCRs were in. Some of you guys remember VCRs, you know, with the, the tapes and that sort of thing. He, he was on Canal Street and he looked over and uh, there was a guy selling VCRs for like uh, $25. And at the time they were $500 to $1,000. And the guy was out, actually out on the sidewalk. And the guy looked at it and said, no, this can't be right. He said, no, it is. Watch, I'll plug it in. And he plugged it in and the lights came on and he pushed the different buttons and the different lights came on when he pushed the buttons. And the guy took it and he shook it and it seemed right. And so he paid the $25. He headed home with his new VCR. He got home. He was so excited. Hooked it up to his television. Put the, the tape in, you know, those big videotapes. Put the tape into the slot. And he heard it go, kaponk. He was like, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. So he got his little screwdriver out. He, he opened it up. And inside... There was a little bitty light and a brick. A brick had been taped to the bottom to make it seem heavy and substantial. And a little light that turned on, but other than that, it was empty. It was just a cheap imitation. And we got to be careful in our lives that we don't do that. That it all has to flow from love of God. Do we love God? Are we consumed by God? We're reading our Bibles and getting great things out of our Bible because we love God. We're waking up and we're spending time in prayer because we love God. We're sharing with our neighbors and reaching out to people around us because we love God. We're trying to be the best parents that we can be, have the best marriages that we can have because we love God. It all flows from loving God. And so Jesus begins there, but then he also says, love neighbor. And he just sort of flows right into that. Love your neighbor. Because that's really the test, isn't it? Well, we can say we love God, and that's ethereal, and it's sort of nebulous. But if you really want to show love for God, you show it in the way you love people. Because that's tougher to do. Sometimes it's easy because you've got a great neighbor, but you don't always have a great neighbor. And that's when it becomes tough. Am I going to love this person that is unlovely? Is I, am I going to love this person who is not like me? Am I going to stretch myself to demonstrate love for God in the way that I love people around me? And, you know, I, I, I think for all of us, as we, we, we look at that and we think about that, we realize that loving neighbor, that's where it takes sacrifice, and that's where it takes surrender, and that's where it takes our, our time and, and our effort. And so... Loving God has to flow into people around us and caring about people and looking out for people and sharing what we know with other people. Loving God and loving neighbor. I remember when uh, Lee and I 
had our first, the first place that we lived was Raleigh, North Carolina, and we had a little uh, house. It was just like a, it was like a railroad house in the sense that it, that there was a hallway, and then all the rooms came off the side. Uh, there was uh, the kitchen, then on the really what what was the back porch was the bathroom. <laughs> so we paid $160 a month for this house. It was in a neighborhood that wasn't the best neighborhood, but it's what we could afford at the time. And I remember we had a neighbor next to us who had a little dog, and this dog would just, it was a little dog, would just yip, yip, yip all the time. You know, I'm a big dog person myself. When, I, when a dog barks, I want it to be a bark. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? But this was a little dog that just yip, 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 yip all the time. And this guy, you know, God bless him, he, he was having a lot of problems with addiction in his life. So there were times where he would, um, he would give in to his addiction, and then he would just be, he would be on the floor in his house for hours and hours with the windows up and this dog not being taken care of, yipping, yipping, yipping. And uh, it just, for us, we were, we were like, okay, what can we do? How can we help out here? And it was hard. It was, it was hard to, to love him because he wasn't the nicest guy and he wasn't the nicest neighbor. But that's the test, isn't it? The test is even when people aren't responsive, even when people aren't going to be nice to you, how are you going to be to them? And so we kept reaching out to him, kept trying to become a friend with his dog, trying to calm the dog down at times. We would take him over food at times because we know he wasn't eating well and that type of thing. And I wish I could say, you know, he became a disciple. That's not how the story ended up. The story ended up that he never really changed the whole time that we were there. But we still tried to demonstrate the love of Jesus. It wasn't about that response. It was about just loving him because we loved God. And I think sometimes we look for the response from people and we should just be focusing on what we can do. And what we can do is love. Love people deeply. Love them from the heart. Love them as Jesus did. Because after all, when we were unlovely and when we needed help and when we weren't at our best, Jesus reached out and loved us and changed us because of his love. 